Welcome to Brands in Action, the podcast that asks the questions every brand should be asking. Today, we welcome our guest, Brett McCoy, founder and CEO of Huck Cycles. Brett is a strategic thinker with a wealth of cross-functional experience from many of the world's most respected companies, leading the strategic transformation for Fortune 100 brands with a focus on innovation models, purpose-driven brand strategies, disruptive communications models, and efficient yet effective process engineering, all built around engaging the right people anytime and anywhere. While he's worked at many amazing companies on the client marketing and agency sides, Brett also served in the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne Division, where his duties included military planning, surveillance, observation, and counterterrorism, team leadership, communications, and operations. Welcome to the show, Brett. That is a bio. Wow. Thank you. I appreciate that. You made me sound smart. So I want to explain to our listeners, you're going to hear some noise in the back. That's because Brett's talking from his shop. We're going to call that art. That's what it is. So it's not a digital glitch. There's some cutting, grinding, welding. You'll hear it all. So, man, you've worked for really interesting companies and very varied. I mean, from Miller, Miller Coors to Snyder Lance, Wells Fargo, the Army, your own practices. Like, Talk a little bit about how you got to where you are. Gosh, I would say accidental. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I went into the military instead of college right out of school. You know, when I got out, I, I didn't really know what to do. So I fumbled around for a while, was fortunate to get a part-time job with Miller as a merchandiser. Wow. That's really where my career took off in the marketing branding space. They brought me in and within a short amount of time, I'd, I'd been promoted into a sales role, then a marketing role. And I really never looked back from there. Yeah. And I just kept growing and growing. And each opportunity I had, whether it was on brand or with an agency, they always seem to approach brand, marketing, advertising from very, very different angles. Mm -hmm. So I would just pick up different things each time I, I moved to a new organization and it just allowed me to grow in different ways. What do you think you learned in the army that has made you a better marketer? Oh gosh, resilience, determination, grit. Uh, you know, fortitude, yeah. teamwork. I think all those things are what aided in my ability to to grow in the space. I got to think teamwork and team building has to be huge there, especially with what, you're, with what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've always sat on the strategic side of the fence and strategy account executives and creatives would always be at odds. And I, I sort of felt yeah. at home in that mix, just coming from the military with diversity and dynamics like that. So, yeah, it's it's at home for me. Well, tell me about the Huck story. Tell me why you're you're really setting out into creating, you're, you're part of a new category. You're a pioneer in a new category and you're doing really interesting stuff. Talk a little bit about the Huck story and why you're here and what you're doing. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I'll be honest, I didn't set out to form a company. I had this desire while working at Wells Fargo <laughs> um, to have a motorcycle and my wife, <laughs> my wife shot it down. There was no way that was happening. I convinced her to let me try the e-bike thing. Yeah, I bought a couple of electric bikes, wasn't happy with them and decided that I'd build my own. So I, I found a partner that would help me fabricate a frame. And every night after work, I'd go work at this shop and begin bending and cutting and welding my own frame together. And as I did that, you know, the power of social media, I started posting to yeah. Twitter and Instagram. And after a couple of weeks, I started getting people reaching out, direct messaging me, asking if I was going to build any to sell and if I would sell some. And I decided to go ahead and sell a couple. And, and I ended up selling about five before 
I decided that this was actually going to be a business. So I sold five bikes yeah, through my Instagram and said, all right, well, there's something here. So that's when we formed Huck. That's incredible. And how did you have the industrial design shops to do that? I didn't. So you know, how we started was a little, little odd. So there was a bike that I liked. It was a 1970s Poosh Magnum. And there yeah. was a gentleman in Charlotte who had one as part of this moped group. And I contacted him and he came up to my house and let me lay his bike down on a piece of plywood. I traced it and I took that around to production shops looking for help to fabricate it. That's really, really amazing. And how much of that original design lives into the products you're doing now? The core design remains the same. So if you were here at the shop wow. now, you'd see that that piece of plywood is hanging up on the wall and the U-shaped design of the frame has not changed. We're on our ninth iteration of our core bike and yeah. I kept that U the entire time. Do you feel like you're making constant improvements with it or do you, uh, you, know, you know, thinking about like automotive, like, like you've got your innovations for the year or are you kind of basically in the same place? We're in a little bit more of an interesting dynamic. So we own our manufacturing. We don't offshore it. It's all done here in the U.S., actually an hour from me here in North Carolina. And we listen to our customers' feedback quite often. So when there's a request or a change and we hear it repeatedly, we take that seriously. Yeah. So yeah. in three years, we're on our 10th version of our frame because we can. So we do. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to unpack the the fact that you own your kind of entire manufacturing process as well. I think that's super cool. What's the mission of the company? You know, what need were you trying to fill or that you saw? One thing I love is sort of uh, your your accidental beginnings, but as a marketer, you do have to say, all right, who's buying this thing? And you know, what do they want? And do you look at it that way? Or do you look at it more from we're going to put out things we like knowing that people will like it? Where do you come from on that? I would say it's a mix. So, um, a couple of things. I would say our mission is and has been to bring manufacturing back to North America whenever yeah. possible and wherever possible, right? So yeah. that's we're sort of based in that, right? I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, Western New York, and you know, going with my grandfather who owned a farm to Agway and Napa stores where the people that worked there knew your name and they had your parts ready. And this, that experience was really interesting to me. And we're bringing that back. Yeah. So that's what started this. And then as we've kind of evolved, I would say we're catering towards customers that fit the same dynamics that I had. Yeah. They're in their, you know, late 30s, early 40s, up till their 60s, want to have a motorcycle, but don't want the weight, the noise, the cumbersome feel yeah. Of, yeah. A, of a traditional, right? So we, yeah. we scratch that itch. You know, I, I, the idea of bringing uh, manufacturing back to the U.S. is huge. That's pretty huge. And that's a big place to come from. <laughs> yes. uh, how has that journey been for you? And what have the barriers been? Did, did you get any economic incentives from the, the town that you're in? No, I didn't. And actually, I would make probably twice as much money. And it would be twice as easy if I offshored everything. So doing it in the U.S. is extremely difficult. Yeah. And it costs a ton to do so. But we're staying to it. We're not going to change. So talk about that a little bit, because I think one of the Amazing things about having a very purposeful mission is that it can cost you in the marketplace. Ultimately, you know, you hope that that pays off in loyalty and some other things with your employees and your people. And, you know, we, we think of brands as a brand can drive an entire organization, not just the communications, right? 
Yes. So, and you seem to be really embody that with the way you hire and the, the people that you bring in and the, the work you're doing. Talk a little bit about that. How has that been? And, and what advice would you give other founders thinking about that? Yeah, I think your your brand is going to be polarizing, right? And sometimes it's polarizing in a very, very negative way. And, and other times it could just be in an economic way, right? Yeah. I think our brand is polarizing in, in a couple of ways. So we've made the de- decision to be manufacturers here in the U.S. and move as much as we can to the U.S., if not North Carolina or the greater North American market, right? Yeah. And when doing so, we have hurdles. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's been... <laughs> been all rainbows and butterflies, I have found that a lot of folks in the U.S. don't want to work like some of the other countries. Yeah, They don't want to do some of these things, right? And um, a lot of the parts and pieces that we need to build our bikes aren't made here or can't be made here because of technologies, right? So there's some difficulties with it. But when possible, we are making the shift. And, and I've enjoyed that. So we've got our frame manufacturer, for example, they're based out of Statesville and they do some medical work in, a, in various capacities, but have never done what we do. And they're fantastic at it, right? And we enjoy growing that relationship. The business that makes the seats for us, they've been in business for years doing upholstery in the furniture industry, yeah. but that industry is going away here in North Carolina. And now, you know, they've got a great business doing seats for us. And now he's got a custom business doing seats for other brands, because of what he's done with us, right? And that came from you hiring him to do your seats. Exactly. And he's been with me three years now. They're amazing people. The quality is amazing. So I I love that we're helping spread the wealth out a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. A guy who was on the show here, um, Victor Leitmanenko from Raleigh Denim, had the same experience where there's an amazing history in North Carolina of of creating denim and uh, cone cone denim too, like really fantastic denim. And uh, they wanted to do a very similar thing. They're like, we're going we're gonna to manufacture that here. And they've created this little web of businesses that, that kept going and or started up and spread out because of the work they were doing, which I love. I think that's great. I love that. Yeah. So coming into the e-motorcycle category, do you feel like people are, where are they on the kind of education spectrum of the category? Are people wanting electric bikes? Did you see a white space here now that you're kind of going where you're like, okay, I I really think people want electric bikes and they're looking for alternatives to the the bigger, heavier bikes? Because I can tell you, I've experienced your, what you're talking about with, you know, my wife was like, you're not getting a motorcycle. I had little kids. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and they are, they're, they're beasts, you know, they can be beasts. And I, your bikes look very, um, they look very efficient and lithe, you know, Uh, while still seeming super cool and industrial. What, 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 how has that been for you guys getting into the e-category? So we do fit in that space, right? I understand that my customers are, are folks who have never ridden before, have always wanted to, but are intimidated. So we create that moto experience, but in a smaller platform. So our yeah. bikes are, you know, under 200 pounds. Anyone over five foot, two inches can sit on one comfortably, yeah. right? So it's approachable. There's no shifting. There's no clutch. There's no yeah. gear. It's, it's twist the throttle and go. So it does make it more approachable. I will say that what I'm seeing is a lot of the electric companies in the motorcycle category are trying to be like the combustion engine yeah. examples, right? So they're trying to be like the Harley or the Triumph or the Ducati. They're pushing horsepower and speed, things that may not necessarily be what the end user is looking for or all are looking for. Most of my customers live within 10 miles of work. 
Yeah. You know, and they're looking for a alternative to driving a truck or a car, traditional vehicle to work in back and the grocery store or, you know, around town. And it is an enjoyable ride that doesn't cost them gas when yeah. it's through the roof, right? Yeah. One of my partners is dying to get on one of your bikes because he's he lives seven minutes from the office and he he loves to ride into the office. And he was like, oh man, do you have that? You know, because there's no shifting, do you have that? I mean, I, I know your top speed is 45, right? It is. So legally on the road, it's 30 as a moped. Off-road, we can go up to 45. Yeah. Moped doesn't mean pedals, right? I, I thought it did. Like I was it did. It, no, no, that's a, that's a great question. So it did up until six months, a year ago. Yeah. And they, they've changed some of the classifications now to be about oh. CC rating of the bike. Yeah. But that's where moped came from, motorized pedal, right? Yeah, so, right. Yeah. That's kind of the whole point. But but why did they make that change? You know, I don't know why they made the change, but I'm glad they did because it allowed us <laughs> to remove the pedals from our bikes and just have pegs. Did you have pedals when you started? We did. Yeah. All the way up until oh. about a year ago. Yeah. That's amazing. When we first started talking, I, I thought there were... I remembered pedals on your bikes because I feel like I had heard about you guys like two years ago. And I remember thinking, oh, it's a hybrid. It's really a hybrid bicycle, but it's not. It's really a, a moped category bike. Yep. What kind of barriers do you see there? Are you seeing barriers? Are you, are like, and I'm going to call them serious riders. I don't know if that's a good term or not, but are serious riders like, oh, this is a great option for me when I, you know, when I'm just going to the office. The way that I, I look at it is there's two segments of, of the customer base. There's there's those that have been following and paying attention to electric and they understand some of the nuances of electric and what it does and what it means. And then there are those that have no idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those that know have no idea tend to be on the better side of things um, because their expectations are sort of blank, right? And we can yeah. help set that expectation. So one yeah. of the things that's kind of unique to electric that you don't hear talked about quite quite a lot in the industry is batteries have when when they're fully charged they have full power as their charge starts to get lower and lower and lower their power starts to get lower and lower and lower mm. so if at full charge you're able to hit 45 miles an hour for example when it's at 40% you might only get 30 miles an hour the battery doesn't have the oomph to power the bike right 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 so that's one of the things that takes getting used to on a 40 mile range when you get down to the last 10 miles you might have slower speeds, less power, less torque yeah, because of the nature of electric. Well, one of the things about electric that I, that I wondered with the, uh, the 45 mile an hour speed limit was, can you get there really fast? Really <laughs> you know? fast yes. You, you yeah. Are, yeah. You'd be shocked. We have to, we essentially cut the power back in half on our bikes. To yeah. prevent people from, you know, popping wheelies or, or flipping over backwards. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been in Teslas when they go zero to 60 in like three yeah. seconds. Yeah, and yeah. Your, your, your neck snaps back. And I was thinking about that on a bike, how dangerous that would be. You it's know, exactly and, the and, same. Yep. Yeah. Especially these big hog bikes, you know, where they're yes. electric and man, you know, they're, they're touting that, that speed. That's like, you know, you're pulling a G. It is. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Do you have plans to build into your line non-moped bikes? We have had discussions around going into the motorcycle space. We're not going to go down channel into the e-bike yeah. space. That's yeah. too competitive. And honestly, everyone in that category is buying a a bike from China. They're importing yeah. and putting stickers on it, right? And that's not yeah. us. Yeah. And you can never compete with them on price. And I don't think we want to. And we're yeah. discussing motorcycle, but I'll be honest, I don't know if the technology makes sense yet to go fully into the motorcycle space. 
Yeah. Where we sit in moped, it just seems to make sense. With a moped, yeah. in most states, you're not required to have a special driver's license. So no motorcycle class license is required. Yeah. Many states, you don't even have to license and register it. You can just ride it legally on the road, right? And yeah. for many people, you know, they live within 5, 10, 15 miles of where they work, and they're never going to see a road that's over 40 miles an hour in that commute. Yeah. So, you know, for the urban city commuting rider, we make sense where yeah. a big motorcycle doesn't. What about helmets? Do you have to, does that just vary by state or do, are you at a class where you have to wear a helmet? It does vary by state. Although we do suggest like with a yeah, motorcycle. Yeah. I, I, You've got to be kind of a dope not to wear a helmet. To be honest. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah, my opinion. In my yeah, opinion. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Wear a helmet. It's not that wear hard. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, one of the things that we're seeing, uh, we we work on Bridgestone motorcycle tires, and um, oh, yeah. we're seeing w- um, women are more and more getting into the category, into riding. Have you seen that in your customer base? I would say probably 25%, maybe 30% yeah. of our customers are females. Yeah. That's a lot. I think that's great. You've got this, those, those bolt together frames, and, and in particular, your one model where it's it's all bolted, there's no wells. How did that come about? What what made you decide to do that? And And what's the benefit to your customer for that? Oh gosh, there's so many reasons for that. Um, one, there's there's the aesthetic reason. They're they're so badass looking. They look yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, there's some interesting things you get with a design like that. Yeah, we really like the idea of um, cutting back on some of the labor and fabrication around welding. Yeah. So again, you talked about earlier. What are some of the hurdles that we've dealt with? People are not going into trades like welding, electrical, yeah. right? Fabrication. Yeah. So you know, when someone retires, there's not a person to back them up. Finding welding talent has been extremely difficult. So when we came out with that bike, we wanted something that was almost weld-free that could be bolted together and eliminate one of those potential hurdles that we had. It's a really great example of taking, I'm going to call it a limitation, but I don't mean a limitation, but the limitation is not finding welders, but taking that and turning it into a design advantage because it actually looks Bitchin', you know, the word I would use is bitchin'. It's super cool. It is a rugged off-road bike. So if you were to damage any part of that bike, you can replace a panel versus replacing the entire frame, right? Where do do you guys do all the repairs? We do. We can, yep. And we try to help our customers, you know, DIY as well. Yeah, of course. That's Well, that's one of the things, right? You could send them instructions and the piece and they can just do it. Absolutely. And we've got a program with that bike in particular, so our Overland model, where we're going to do some testing with, U.S. military on creating that bike broken yeah. down into a small crate, you know, 36 inches by 36 inches, drop it out of an airplane and assemble it in the field Wow! for field use, right? So there's some yeah. interesting dynamics that come with a, a non-welded frame. That's incredible. I love that. You've got this super cool cafe seat cafe racer seat. And, and, and I would say that for me, and I, I'm not that, listen, I'm, I'm not that savvy to everything but it your design recalls cafe racers in a way that nothing else in this category does right thank you yeah. what what is your design inspiration and and what is your motorcycle inspiration that led you to where you are in the business you know we started with the push magnum but i i am inspired by british bikes yeah i love the triumph i i own a triumph um norton i just love the styling of the old 60s, 70s scramblers yeah. and cafe racers. And that really comes to life in our design package. Yeah. I think it's one of the advantages of 
I, I'm not dissing them at all, but I would never ride a Vespa. I just, it, I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to ever be on a, I'm not going to be seen on a Vespa. You know, maybe if I was like a tourist in Milan or something, I'd get on a Vespa, but like, I just, they just don't appeal to me as a sort of, I, I think they look super cool. I just don't want to be on one, you know? Exactly. And yours, you really look like you're on a bike. I mean, you look like there you're There are so a bike. many benefits to going to a lightweight, light vehicle like ours, right? A moped. But historically, to your point, they've been not pleasing to the eye or you felt like you're riding, you know, a Vespa, which fits some, it doesn't fit everyone. Yeah. I think Vespas are beautiful. They're beautifully designed. I I just don't want to be on one, you know? So we talked a little bit about a brand as kind of a set of behaviors and that driving the entire organization. Talk a little bit about what non-advertising behaviors this has created for you, what you're doing. In particular, the kind of people you hire. Like, talk talk a little bit about that and where you distribute. Yeah, so people we hire. Um, I've been fortunate to kind of go after folks that follow the same playful, mischievous nature that yeah. that I sort of run the business. And um, oftentimes they are veterans, which is great. So I'm I'm bringing folks in from backgrounds similar to mine. We are also fortunate that we tend to get a lot of people that are they're at a point in their career where they've they've made money or they've chased money and they've decided yeah. that wasn't what was going to work for them anymore, you know, and they're, they're taking an exit to go do something that they enjoy. And it might be twisting wrenches, but it's in a category that they really enjoy and it's fun for them. So it's great to have a group of people here who want to build a bike, stand back, look at what they built, jump on it, go for a ride, and then know that it's going to go to a customer who's always dreamed of being able to ride. Yeah. Intimidated, yeah. right? Like it's it's this really interesting circle. Do you feel like you're selling that dream a little bit? Like, is that partly what you're selling with these bikes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're definitely fulfilling this sort of ideal that people have had in their head yeah. of what it's to be to be like. And you know, there are certain situations like we were just in New York City for an event, and because we were going up there, we we took a bike to a customer who lives up there, and when he came to pick up the bike. He hugged us all. He was almost in tears <laughs> because great. he'd always dreamed of being a motorcycle guy yeah. and didn't think that it was possible. And now he might not be all the way there, but he sure yeah. feels like he is, you yeah. know? Yeah. Hell yeah. How do you articulate the brand to customers when you're talking to them? And how do you, you know, when you're, when you're doing your, your advertising via social and that sort of thing, do you have a st- an articulation for the brand? We try to keep it not as foo-foo as I, I used to do back yeah. back in my advertising marketing days, right? Like if we are the brand for, for folks that are looking for easy, approachable moto, right? Who want to get into it. If you are a diehard combustion engine moto guy, you're not going to want to get a bike. You're just yeah. not, right? Yeah. You're not there yeah. yet, right? Yeah. And that's okay, right? I, I have combustion motorcycles, right? I, I get it. But for those that are trying to get into the space, we do have a nice product offering for them. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you have this line on your site that says, feel like you're cheating. Yeah, yeah. Talk about what does that mean? What does that mean to you? So that yeah, it's, there's, it's sort of double-sided. So again, I my wife wouldn't let me have a motorcycle. So I started yeah. a company that builds motorcycles that aren't motorcycles, right? So it's what I call, this is my loophole. So we, we fit this loophole for people that um, their wives won't let them or their husbands won't let them have a, a big bike. and. Yeah, we feel that. Right. So so part of it's that the other part of it is when you get on it and ride it, it does look like and ride like a motorcycle. Now, yeah, we're you're not on, you're on a bike. 
yeah, we're not reaching speeds of 80 miles an hour, but you also don't have a license and you're not sitting in that motorcycle class. So you do feel like you're getting away with something by having this experience. Yeah. Does that line feel like you're cheating? Does that suggest a tone of voice for you for the brand? Do you have a tone of voice and have you articulated it? I love talking to advertising and brand people who have started companies because they often do all this work, but sometimes we're so good at what we do, we just do it intuitively, right? And we don't articulate it. Did you articulate it or do you just kind of feel like you have an intuitive sense of what the voice is? We have not articulated it. So I I will say the name Huck comes from Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, one of my favorite books and stories. And, you know, growing up with that as an ideal, when I started the company, I, I knew that's what we wanted the name to be. And I would say everything we do falls into that sort of sensibility of, adventure and mischief and sometimes getting away with things and breaking the rules. And yeah, I was going to say, if you had an archetype, a brand archetype, I was going to say it's definitely the rebel or it feels like the rebel, you know? Yeah. I mean, the rebel, the name of our bike, the rebel came from David Bowie's rebel rebel, right? So like um, we try to go to that side of things. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Well, you do actually have a consistent tone of voice. And I, I, I just assume that that comes because you're intuitively wired to do that. <laughs> you know? Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So what's next in this range for you? Because you have, you basically have two models, right? But then you have a lot of, you have a lot of variations within that. Talk a little bit about where you're going. So we've got another model coming out here in the next few weeks. I've got actually a couple of them here in the shop right now, ready to go. So Is that what we're hearing being made? Yep. That's what you hear now in the background getting getting put together. Um, so that's the Stinger. So that's coming together. We also have a couple of um, celebrity customers who've reached out and asked us to build a custom line of bikes for them that are more on the chopper side. So yeah. we're exploring a traditional chopper look. Wow. Within the electric category, which will be fun. But yeah. really for us, our business is is focused now primarily on getting as many as our as we can of our parts and components and partnerships here in North Carolina or North America. So shifting all our production here, all of our parts and partnerships here. Even things like earlier you were mentioning the denim company here. Yeah. Uh, Raleigh, yep. Right. Um, we want to come out with a line of of moto pants, jeans. And we've got a denim company here in North Carolina that we could potentially partner with. Yeah, that's super cool. So is there a, a connection to Cornelius, North Carolina? Was there a connection there? Or did, how did you choose that? Are you from there? Uh, so I live in Davidson, so it's it's close by. When we started, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I kept my full-time job at Wells yeah. for a year and a half. So we built up to 12 people. I had someone managing the business during the day. I had a full-time job. And we kept it close to home so I could come visit over lunch yeah, breaks yeah, and, yeah. and after hours. And now we're here. You know, I, I think we're going to stay here. We we may be relocating down to Charlotte at some point here in the near future, but yeah, we'll yeah. stay in, in North Carolina. For the entrepreneurs in the, in the audience listening to this, what kind of price do you feel like you paid for that double that double life there for a while. And, and I'm assuming now you're, you're full-time Huck, right? I am, yeah. yeah. Last February, I went full-time at Huck. Yep. I would say you gain a lot by living the double life, right? I was able to fund the startup and grow the startup out of pocket, Yeah, you know, which was great without having to give up equity or take on partners. Yeah. But you also sacrifice, right? Like I was going after dinner every night for a year. Yeah to work on these projects and bikes and I just wasn't home. And 
you know, I had a career of that and then started a business and was back at it. So you, you do sacrifice a lot, but it means more to you when you commit at that level, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think uh, what I would say about that from my experience, having, having my own sorts of things like this, I have very different categories, but make sure you love it. Yeah. You know, because yes. that's what makes it not work. If you just go into it going like, how can I make a, a shitload of money? You may not be so happy you know, with the thing that you're doing and sacrificing for. And I see a lot of entrepreneurs that I, I raise an eyebrow sometimes when I hear what they're up to. And I go, do you really like, are you just doing that? Cause you see a category that is interesting and, and look, I'm not dissing it. Like, yeah, you yeah. want to make a ton of money. Great. That's awesome. You know, and I, I want to make a ton of money. I'm not saying I don't, but the things that I get involved in are, are like what you're doing, which is like, God, I really want to do that. <laughs> That's really going to be fun. Yeah, and you know? There is a point. So, you know, I, I spent my career trying to climb the corporate ladder, right? Yeah. I hit, yeah. hit a very high, high rung on that ladder and then realized what's the next step and, yeah. and why, you know, the climb was no longer enjoyable. The category was no longer enjoyable. So the jump out was an easy decision, but it comes with a lot of being an entrepreneur is not easy. We, I hired my first employee March 1st, 2020 on March 9th, everything shut down with COVID. That is, that is just a nightmare timing. So nightmare timing. And then within that you had ports closed, you had shipping closures, you had trucking yeah. issues, supply. I mean, you name it, it happened, but we persevered, right? And we persevered yeah. because we, we were chasing the idea of our mission, not the money side yeah. of it. Yeah. I had people offered tons of money early on if we would outsource to yeah. to China and Mexico and we said no. Yeah. Because it wasn't our mission. Yeah, it, it kind of all depends on where you are on Maslow's hierarchy of needs and and the stage of your company. But yes. I man, I, I really admire you for doing that. And I really admire you for taking that chance on something you love. Yeah. I mean, that's just that is what business should be. That's what almost every business starts at is somebody loved something and was really excited about something. And um, Just keep having fun with it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's if you can then make a living doing that. Man, have you created the Venn diagram of uh, of life and work? You know that where the, the it's got a giant circle in the middle. <laughs> it's I more, don't know if I'm making a living at it yet, but I yeah I am getting a paycheck and I get to ride bikes every day. So that's yeah. Cool. I think that we don't as Americans look at experience enough as that being part of the paycheck. That, yes, that there is Great. actually a wealth there that makes you healthier. It makes you happier. And we don't think about what's in that account. Totally agreed. Absolutely. I mean, I made twice, maybe three times in my corporate job what I make today, yeah. but I was not as happy as I am today. Yeah. And, uh, and so you're, you're, you've got, you know, you've got two accounts going, you've got your bank account and your sort of happy health account. They're both very, very important. No, and I think if your brand lends to that as well, you can enjoy it even more, right? Like we, yeah because we sit in this space and Moto is very sort of lifestyle and organic and, and a bit rebelish, we do those things, right? So we, we take a day off and we go to the mountains and we go swimming in a river, right? Yeah. We take a day yeah. off and we take bikes and we go ride somewhere. We close half a day and, and barbecue at the shop and drink beers, right? That, that's part of the brand. Yeah. And the company, I, you know, your company is a lifestyle as much as it is a company. And writing is a lifestyle and an attitude and a mindset. And I, that's what I always loved about it. You know, it's just, it is. It is. Yep. And everybody, you know, it, it's funny when we do test rides and demo rides, people come back and you never see someone come back with a, an angry or a mad or an upset <laughs> face. They yeah. all have that same grin 
They all have a little bit of a shake from adrenaline in their hands and, you know, they, they feel it, they get it. And that, that's what this embodies. Well, people are going to really want to see the bikes. How, how can people find you? Uh, right now, our website, we should hopefully be rolling out to dealers across the East Coast um, starting early next year. But right now, go to our website, check out our Instagram, Huck Cycles. What kind of dealers are you looking for? I know, I, I think you're in some Indian dealership dealerships right now, right? We do. We have a handful of um, power sports and Indian dealers that are taking us on. And um, that's really the space that we sit in because yep. we are a, a VIND vehicle. Yep. Got it. Goofy, dumb question. Who would play you in the movie once once the once the big success happens? Who plays you in the movie? Oh gosh, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, we all want to say like Brad Pitt or George Clooney, right? <laughs> the the good looking, masculine man. But man, I don't know. That's a good one. What was that guy from Breaking Bad? Walter White. The guy that played Walter White. No, the other one. Uh, oh, uh, the guy that played Jesse, Aaron Paul. Yeah. Yes, Aaron that, that's Paul. who I want. That's a good one. That's why I want. There you go. Yeah, right. it'd be great. I like it. That's great. Well, Brett, man, I'm I really admire what you're doing. Your products are so badass, and uh, thank you. I, I think you have the opportunity to change people's lives actually with what you're doing. Not only the people making it, but actually when you when you 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 kind of can restore people to happiness, and that's a big deal. Today it is. Yes, absolutely. It's it certainly. Yeah. We uh, we don't take that lightly. All right. Well, um, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate the time. This has been another episode of Brands in Action. Many thanks to our guest, Brett McCoy. Today's show has been brought to you by Pony Source Brewing, who reminds you with our Lieutenant Governor's Fund for the Fabulous, don't be mean to people. Go to fundforthefabulous.love for more info. Pony Source Brewing, drink about it. If you're digging the show, please give us a review and a like. It does make a difference. Production help by Tim Mislock and Nathan Nichols. Editing by Sarah Voorhees-Wendell. And music by Medium Heat. All other help from your friendly neighborhood Baldwin and. <laughs>